east of Hong Kong near the southeast coast of the mainland. The observatory said it had received over 8,000 locally felt reports of minor shaking for a few seconds. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. Welcome to a brand new week of Money Talk on Monday the 14th of March. Many thanks to Andrew Work for filling in last week. This is Peter Lewis, back with the day's business headlines. The G7 nations said Friday they would end normal trade relations with Russia as part of a series of new measures to inflict economic punishment on Moscow for its invasion of Ukraine. The US, European Union and other allies plan to revoke Russia's most favoured nation status as an equal trade partner, paving the way for tariff increases on all Russian imports. Americans felt less optimistic about the economy and their personal finances in early March, amid concerns over rising inflation, surging oil prices and the potential impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index dropped to 59.7 from a final February reading of 62.8. It marked the third straight month of declines and the index's lowest level since September 2011. China's credit growth slowed more than expected in February, with both aggregate financing and new loans lower than forecast. Longer-term loans to households shrank for the first time since 2007. Chinese banks extended 1.23 trillion yuan in new loans in February, down sharply from a record 3.98 trillion yuan in January and falling short of analysts' expectations. The number of new COVID-19 cases on the mainland surged to almost 3,400 on Sunday, more than three times the previous day's figure. Authorities placed all 17 million residents in Shenzhen under lockdown yesterday. The lockdown and a suspension of public transport will last until March the 20th, during which time it would launch three rounds of mass testing. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alicia Garcia-Herrera of Natixis and Nate Taplin from the Wall Street Journal. With a view from mainland China is Yan'an Wu, chairman of Zheng Rong Bao. Yeah, stocks fell on Friday and registered their worst week in nearly two months as the fighting in Ukraine intensified and investors retreated from taking risk. The S&P 500 slid 1.3% on Friday to 4,204, taking its fall for the week to 2.9%, its largest decline since late January. The Dow dropped for a fifth straight week, losing 230 points on Friday to 32,944, taking its weekly decline to 2%. And as that composite slid 2.2% to 12,844, taking its fall for the week to 3.5%. The tech-heavy index entered bear market territory last Monday, defined as falling 20% from its recent high. European markets closed Friday on a positive note. The region-wide stocks 600 index rose 0.9% Friday and 2.2% for the week, recovering some of the previous week's 7% slide. London's FTSE 100 jumped 2.4% over the five sessions. 
Hong Kong stocks plunged on Friday with Chinese tech shares suffering their worst week in a year after the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission announced five New York-listed Chinese companies faced a delisting in early 2024 if they failed to hand over audit documents backing their financial statements. There were further woes for the tech sector after Bloomberg reported Friday that Chinese ride-sharing group Didi Global has been forced to suspend its preparations to list in Hong Kong as it hasn't yet fully complied with Beijing's data security requirements necessary to proceed with a share sale. Didi shares plunged 44% in New York on Friday and are now 87% below their IPO price last year. The Hang Seng Index slumped almost 4% at the low of the day before closing 336 points or 1.6% lower at a near six-year low of 20,554. And for the week, the benchmark index was down 6.2%. The Hang Seng Tech Index plummeted as much as 8.9% at one stage before closing down 4.3% at a new record low. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite closed 0.4% higher at 3,310, recovering from losses of 2.4% earlier in the day. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil climbed 3.1% last week, after, on Friday, sorry, after EU leaders said at a summit they were debate, debating further moves against Moscow. This morning, it's trading at $112.34 a barrel. Copper fell over 6% last week. Gold climbed 1% over the week, and it's this morning. It's at $1,977 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield was up 26 basis points over the week to 2%. And in the currency markets, the euro is trading at $1.09 and a quarter cents. The buck's at 117 and a half Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.30 and a half cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 21 cents. Chinese yuan is at 6.36 and a half this morning and Bitcoin is trading at $38,700. Around Asian stock markets, as we start a new week in Australia, the SX200 is up 0.9%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has opened about 1.2% firmer. The Cosby is down about a third of a percent. And unfortunately, more gloom for Hong Kong stocks. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to slide about 450 points uh, at the open, taking it to about 20,100 when trading gets going this morning. It's coming up to 8.10. Let's go and welcome our guests. We have with us on the phone Alicia Garcia-Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia-Pacific and Texas. Morning, Alicia. Hello, Alicia. Are you there? Okay. We don't seem to have Alicia at the moment. We'll try and uh, find her. Um, Nate Taplin, hopefully, is there, um, Asia editor of Heard on the Street at the Wall Street Journal. Morning, Nate. Hey, Peter. Morning. How are Hello. you? Um, very good, thank you. Let's try and get uh, Alicia back, and hopefully she can join uh, in the conversation very quickly. In the meantime, let's look at the two sessions. 
Chinese Premier Li Keqiang said in a media conference on Friday that it wouldn't be an easy thing to achieve the mainland's growth target of around 5.5% in 2022 for an economy as big as China's. And he said China faces new downside challenges this year, which require larger policy support from authorities, including more tax and fee cuts for businesses. And Nate, what were your sort of main takeaways from the uh, from the two sessions this year? Yeah, well, I mean, I think on the growth target, pretty much everyone was surprised um, that it was going to be that high because I think the general sentiment in the market is that you know even getting into the the low fives is going to be quite quite a reach. Um, you know, and you saw the uh, the loan data that just came out, um, which was uh, also below least, expectations. Yeah. Um, you know, and then on top of that, you have this new COVID outbreak, you have high oil prices, uh, you've seen renewed weakness in the real estate sector again recently, you know, with some more defaults and um, housing sales kind of falling back again. So, um, you know, I think particularly the signs of renewed, uh, you know, tightening um, on financial conditions are going to have to be reversed. So they're kind of leaning on, on fiscal policy, but they're going to have to do a lot more on monetary policy, frankly, if they're going to get anywhere close to this. Okay, Alicia is back with us. Morning, Alicia. Good morning. Um, we're just talking about the two sessions. What were your um, takeaways from it? Premier Li Keqiang said achieving this growth target of around 5.5% is going to be difficult. What, what are your thoughts? Absolutely, because things are turning for the worse, uh, and lots of that is not even in China's hands, or at least not fully whether it's COVID, whether it's uh, Ukraine. And beyond that, the fact that, you know, uh, no matter how many strategic reserves uh, China may have accumulated, I mean, oil prices are high for the foreseeable future. So the fact that we don't have a deal with Saudi and UAE on the U.S. front uh, makes it uh, clear that this is going to last. That's not good news for the Chinese economy, indeed. Is the Chinese economy facing stagflation? It's a word we're hearing mentioned more and more these days. Yeah. Well, I don't like the word stagflation as an economist because it, I mean, if, you, if you actually look at the definition, you would have to have recession. It's hard to have recession in China. I would argue, although I saw that at some point, I think last week Goldman had a potential recession in the US. I think that's really beyond what we'll see. So I don't think we'll have stagflation anywhere. Because growth will remain above uh, zero, mm. uh, but if you if you move away from that definition, the point is: Are you going to have less growth and more inflation? The answer is yes. So that's that's as close as we can get to stagflation. Mm. But we could see stagflation in other economies in the world, which presumably will impact China. Uh, it's hard to see stagflation. So the the closest. To you know, to, to to Ukraine would be Europe. Europe was expected to grow uh, 4.1% this year. So even uh, these estimates of how much it would take away to have a full oil and gas embargo in Germany, and that's uh, around three percentage points. So basically, hard to have. Uh, I would argue it's very hard to have a negative growth in 2022, and and I'm sure that we'll see. Some additional fiscal easing is needed uh, everywhere, um, and that brings me to China. Uh, we have, uh, the, you know, a rather low, if not impossible, 2.8% uh, fiscal budget uh, um, announced by Li Keqiang, but I think that's really not showing the big stimulus that we're 
uh, spectrum on the fiscal front. Mm. Only on uh, LGFPs, we have nearly eight percentage points last year, and that's going to be even bigger this year. So, so in other words, um, China's fiscal stance is hard to measure, uh, and it's always much bigger than announced, and and it's going to continue, if not bigger, this year. But I but I quite agree with that. Uh, Fiscal won't, won't be enough. So we should see a lot of easing on the monetary side uh, very soon if they want that target to be achieved. Yeah. Nate, the one, one thing the work reports was really surprisingly uh, missing was common prosperity. This word that's been bandied about a lot uh, last year didn't get a, a mention in the report, although there were social targets mentioned for education, medical care and retirement and so on. Um, what do you make of that? Is it a bit mysterious? It is absolutely a bit mysterious. Um, and yeah, there's been tons of speculation, obviously, on, on what that means. And it, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, many people are kind of coming to the conclusion um, that, you know, this may represent a little bit of a recognition by the government that uh, they went a bit too far on this last year and have really spooked people, um, and particularly in such a economic environment they're going to really need entrepreneurs in particular to uh not be too discouraged but you know i mean it's 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 really difficult to say and then on the other hand you still have um you know you're still having some problems with tech firms um on the regulatory side in china as we've seen so that part of the push kind of seems to be intact whatever is happening with the rhetoric Mm. Um, you know for example what just happened with dd do you think um, one of the other targets that um, China talked about, as well as its growth target, uh, this 5.1% unemployment target, that's going to be tough as well, isn't it? Because there's a lot of new graduates coming onto the market. We've got a resurgence of COVID. A lot of jobs have disappeared from the tech sector. How big a challenge do you think that's going to be to, to try and achieve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is kind of one... Um, kind of underappreciated problem that China's faced for a while, actually. They have, um, you know, they've been doing all these things which are not really conducive to services growth in particular, which is what sucks up most of the educated graduates, um, you know, real estate, tech, um, these sorts of things. And they have this massive surge of graduates coming. So, you know, that could, in theory, that can be a big positive for China, but they have to have the actual jobs for them, and they, and they clearly don't at this point. So... It's certainly a problem. Alicia, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, it's, uh, it's trying to achieve this unemployment target. It's getting tougher and tougher, isn't it? Yeah, we hear that there's going to be huge layoffs from Alibaba and Tencent to start. Um, and I think any tech uh, company, by tech I also mean you know, e-commerce and, and the like, which does employ a lot of people in China, are going to be you know, basically respond with their feet because there's not much they can do about the um, regular crackdown. And, and I do think it's going to be very hard. That, that's why Li Keqiang is worried. It's not only about growth, but the type of growth he might be able to achieve in his last year. And that type of growth, if it's only infra-led or, you know, uh, additional cutting taxes and so on, it might not be necessarily enough to create the jobs needed uh, for um, harmony, stability, and all of that. So, yeah, uh, I agree. It's, it's not going to be an easy year. And your point on stagflation hits China double in the sense that there may not be stagflation, but there's surely going to be less growth this year. Mm-hmm. So we all know that uh, uh, external demand is key for China, or at least 
it was key in 2020, 2021. We've already had the first numbers uh, for trade uh, January, February, and they're not very appealing. I think growth, export growth was about 15, 15, close to 16, very low compared to last year. So I think they're already realizing that. And that was before before Ukraine. So imagine, I mean, it's, it's not going to be as easy to create jobs out of manufacturing to then export your way out. Um, there's no way out on export this year. Mm. So, so Nate, what does this mean for, for local markets? The, um, the MSCI China index, it's down nine out of the last 13 months now. If you compare it to the global gauge, it's at its lowest since 2006 on a, on a comparator. And here in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is at a six-year low. Uh, looks like it might lose another 500 points or so at the open. Is, is confidence just draining away from Chinese markets now? Well, you know, I mean, confidence obviously took an enormous hit uh, already over the past 18 months because of the, the tech crackdown in particular, and then, you know, kind of the broader pro- common prosperity agenda. Um, and I think, you know, I think there was some hope that there would be more aggressive signals on, on stimulus this year and also that there would be, um, you know, s- some better signs of things really firmly stabilizing in, in real estate. And you haven't had either of those things. And at the same time, you continue to have some negative impacts from the regulatory crackdown on tax. So, you know, it, it's kind of hard to say where the good news is coming from. Um, and I think that is going to be reflected in, in, in market prices. There's no question. It doesn't even look like the Hang Seng is going to benefit from a rebound going on around the rest of the, the region. How much is the local situation also uh, damaging sentiments here? We've, we've got this surge now in, in COVID cases. It doesn't seem um, that the government's in control of it at the moment. Is that affecting market sentiment? I think I think it must be, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's still the, the Chinese... Firms and, and the banks, they're the real heavyweights in, in Hong Kong mostly. But, you know, then you also have the real estate companies, and this is clearly not positive um, from their perspective. And, yeah, I, I certainly think that's probably a factor. Mm. Alicia, what, what do you make of the, the, the markets out here in China and, and Hong Kong? Is this reflecting some of the things that we were talking about earlier, that, you know, growth is a challenge? We had that disappointing uh, credit data on, on Friday evening. Plus, we've got now this latest surge in, in COVID. It seems to be all conspiring against local markets at the moment. Yes, uh, local and global. In other words, there's not much help coming from the rest of the world either. Uh, so in that regard, it seems like we are a general sell-off. But perhaps to, to, to create a little bit of positiveness on this, on this call, I, let's see what could happen uh, to change the trend. And one would be, of course, uh, a sudden control on this COVID thing and that, mm. you know, a, a very clear message that, that this was a short-lived uh, wave. Plus, of course, in more detail uh, to me, a uh, specific uh, um, way out growth-wise, meaning, you know, a, a very clear stance on fiscal, what are they going to do? To, 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 because, frankly, the messages on the fiscal front have been, so far, in the two sessions, quite hard to follow. I mean, where is this money? We know the central bank is, is basically transferring uh, long-standing profits, but people wonder, is that monetary financing? I mean, it looks a little bit, quote-unquote, desperate. And I think if they manage to plan, I mean, 
out and explain what they're going to do very clearly on the fiscal front. Monetary, I think, is, is kind of easy. I mean, people can, can understand what they, they will be doing. Uh, I think that would help a lot because the messages have not been, in my view, perhaps they've never been very clear, but this year, somehow it's necessary because last year we heard for the second half of the year that they would they were trying to do fiscal stimulus and nothing happened. Actually, they didn't spend what local governments didn't spend what they issued in, in local mm-hmm. government in, in, in bonds. So they, so they need to say this is going to be different for these reasons, A, B, C. And the problem is the two sessions are over. So, you know, like we would need to, I mean, somehow get this, this message very quickly. And it seems like it would look as if they've not been clear enough on the two sessions, which, might, which is why this might not happen. But I think it's needed. Okay. Um, Native, uh, final point from you. If, if we were to look around the region at markets that maybe could outperform, given everything that's going on, the Ukraine war, surging commodity prices, um, where would you look? Would you look at maybe some of the commodity exporters like, like Australia and Malaysia? Where would you go? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, Malaysia. it's a tough oh, sorry, one. Sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't hear your uh, name. No, 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 go ahead. Sorry, I didn't hear your name. Uh, okay. Uh, frankly, I, I think it's a tough one um, because, uh, yeah, you're looking at certainly commodity exporters, but then, you know, I mean, some of those markets um, also have a fair amount of external debt and you're worried about currency risk and other things. So, um, yeah, I, I maybe Australia. Um you know, you, the other kind of obviously big kind of heavyweight in the region for commodities are Indonesia and Malaysia, um, but Indonesian has many other problems. So, mm. yeah, I, okay. it's a tough one. Uh, Alicia, in 30 seconds, because we're running out of time, what, what are your yes. thoughts? Are um, they- uh, I think Australia, as long as the Fed does, I mean, the Fed really uh, makes sure that their swap lines are up and running and there's not going to be any liquidity dollar liquidity uh, concern, because that's a problem for Australia again. So we could go back to March 2020, and that's what we do not want to be. I hope the Fed will realize this mm. and liquidity in dollar uh, will become abundant. Uh, that's key for, for every market. I, it, without that, I think best is Malaysia. Without, I mean, if there were to be liquidity concerns, Malaysia is the best place, in my view, because that is not very high, okay. and uh, lots of windfield uh, from, from commodities, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. That's Alicia Garcia, Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific and the Texas. Nate Taplin, Asia Editor, heard on the streets at the Wall Street Journal. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.25 on the phone from Beijing. It's Yanem Wu, the chairman of Zhengrong Bao. Morning, Yanem. Morning, Peter. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. Let me get your thoughts, first of all, on the two sessions uh, that ended last week on Friday. Uh, President Li Keqiang sang the... Uh, the Five and a half percent growth target. Sorry, six and a half percent growth target. It's going to be tough to achieve. What are your takeaways from the the meeting? Yeah, uh, I think the last year was a good year uh, after all uh, the challenges. Uh, but uh, uh, the new target of five point five percent of GDP growth also uh, caused a lot of discussions. Uh, it's it's really a challenge from three aspects. 
Uh, first is the real estate investment. Uh, if you look at this, the, the so-called choy car of the GDP growth, uh, the investment and uh, exports has been shining for the last two years, especially the exports. Uh, for the exports, uh, the if you look at 2021, the three, uh, the Q3 is the uh, basis. Uh, the exports uh, increasing for GDP contribution uh, is uh, almost 40 percent, uh, nearly half a uh, half a half of the GDP growth for the last year. So, if the exports uh, uh, went down, goes down in 2022. Uh, and the the contribution goes to zero, and then the GDP growth could decrease to two and a half percent. So that's really a challenge for for GDP growth. Yeah. Uh, if yeah, because before the prior to the the COVID, the export contribution for uh, for the the global uh, exports is around fourteen to fifteen percent. Mm. But after the the COVID, this. Uh, 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 contribution uh, uh, among the global growth is already 17.6%. Mm. So it's really uh, hard to grow further for the exports. Two and, and a half percent is a big, big miss, isn't it, from the five and a half percent target. So even though it's not actually a recession, it, it would feel like a recession in many ways, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Did that, uh, I was talking about export. If the export holds no growth uh, in 2022, uh, that's assumption. Uh, because the challenge is really from domestic side. If you look at the GDP target, uh, the real estate investment uh, really hard to grow further because the new real estate policy. Uh, and I think there's uh, a, a lot of side effects of uh, shanty town renovation. Uh, for 2015 to 2018, uh, that caused uh, over monetization uh, for the real estate investment. Mm. Uh, first, it uh, caused uh, over consumption of the individuals in real estate and properties. And secondly, it caused the liquidity, uh, the uh, high leverage uh, for the property companies. And that's why there's so much uh, default mm. for real estate companies, loans and debts. So it's really hard to push further. Yeah. What well, what happened to common prosperity? It barely got a mention at the uh, at the two sessions. We were all expecting that to be really the main theme of of the work report. What what, what happened? Yeah, I, I think uh, there's uh, a lot of emphasis on common uh, prosperity, and that's still a theme. I think for the next uh, few years. Uh, but on the other hand, if you look at the two sessions, the Premier League mentioned about the market entities, the uh, so-called the buy, the productivities of uh, private enterprises. Uh, so I think uh, it may, from the media side, maybe overemphasize the common uh, prosperity, but um, overlooked the, the uh, contribution from the private enterprise and the viability. Of the so-called market entities, mm. uh, so so these two sessions, I think, uh, from the challenge of the economic growth, especially from the domestic side, uh, still want to encourage the private enterprise contribute to the employment and also the productivity of the whole economic growth. And the challenge also come from the you know the currency side. 
the RMB appreciation uh, for the last two years uh, from the uh, during the COVID uh, period is already uh, over eight percent prior to the uh, uh, the prior COVID uh, era. So it will lo- cause a lot of uh, uh, down down uh, downside effects of uh, exports. And if you look at the uh, the uh, employment growth, it also has a lot of uh, side effects because the uh, inter- internet companies, the large internet companies, has caused a lot of uh, the, the layoffs. Mm-hmm. So, so this is also both challenges for the society. Okay, sadly, we. Unfortunately, we've run out yeah. of time, Yanan, but thank you very much indeed. That's Yanan Wu, chairman of General Bell up in Beijing. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look around the markets for this morning. Uh, in Australia, the ASX 200 up 1.1%. PK 225 in Japan up about one and a quarter percent. The Cosby is down about a third of a percent in South Korea. And looks like another bad morning at the open for the Hang Seng. Uh, futures markets pointing to a decline of about 400 points at the open. In the commodity markets, Brent crude oil right now trading at $111.84 a barrel. And gold is at uh, $1,973 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for the COVID update after the news with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast mainly fine coastal mist in the morning and at night maximum temperature around 28 degrees humid and foggy tomorrow and a few showers in the middle and latter parts of this week 23 degrees right now 84 percent relative humidity it's 8 32 here's andrew shrosky with the half hour news all 17 million residents of shenzhen have been told to stay at home and prepare for three rounds of covid testing the city yesterday reported 66 cases of the coronavirus. Todd Harding reports. Shenzhen has been struggling to eradicate an Omicron flare-up linked to Hong Kong. A government notice said the lockdown and a suspension of public transport will last until March the 20th, adding that it would launch three rounds of mass testing. The move extends an earlier lockdown imposed on the city's central business district. The surge in infections across the mainland has also prompted authorities to close schools in Shanghai and lock down multiple northeastern cities as 18 provinces battle clusters of the Omicron and Delta variants. The observatory says an initial analysis shows a 4.1 magnitude earthquake took place just before 2.30 a.m. this morning. The epicenter was about 92 kilometers east-northeast of Hong Kong, near the southeast coast of the mainland. The observatory said it had received over 8,000 locally felt reports of minor shaking for a few seconds. It said it had given an initial local intensity estimate of 4 on the modified Mercalli intensity scale. That is to say, hanging objects swinging and windows, dishes and doors rattling. The Oscar-winning actor William Hurt has died at the age of 71. His family said he had died peacefully among family of natural causes. In 2018, Hurt disclosed that he'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer. He was known for his roles in movies such as The Big Chill, Kiss of the Spider Woman, and Broadcast News. Despite Moscow's continuing attacks on Ukraine, negotiators from both sides have given their most optimistic assessments of the talks aimed at ending the violence. Ukraine said the Russians had stopped using ultimatums, and the Russians have also spoken of significant progress. Mikhailo Podolyak is President Vladimir Zelensky's advisor. 
Our proposals are on the table and they're very tough. First of all, they concern the withdrawal of troops, the ceasefire and so on. In principle, we will not give up on any of our positions. Russia already understands this. Russia is starting to talk constructively. I think we will come to some concrete results literally in a few days. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. And this morning we'll be looking at